Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander. I'm here with my all-time favorite co-host, Don Grafham. Don, uh-huh. how are you doing? Oh. I want to hear what's like your last month been like. Oh, it's it's amazing. Thanks so much for caring <laughs> so genuinely, as always. Well, as you as you know, I had a birthday oh. this last month. Okay. And, uh, you know, you and I talk about this. You actually care about it more than most people in my life, for some reason, about birthday freebies. Yes. This oh. is a, a worthy topic of just hitting really quickly because I discovered a few new ones this oh. year. Well, you are a master of taking care of the birthday. It's very important okay, to me. Okay, just take I us mean, through what you've got. I mean, everybody has to get the Red Robin Burger. Okay, I mean, that's never knew standard. About that you one. have to get that one. And of course, Caribou and Starbucks. I mean, that's like yeah. entry level. Yeah. But this year I discovered Red Savoy. You get a free <laughs> small pepperoni pizza. One, one on top your of pizza. On your birthday. Well, you get it for like a month. <laughs> wow. And then Green Mill, deep dish pizza, small as wow. well. And then nothing bunt cake. You get a buntlet, <laughs> which just sounds wrong to say, but uh, it's oh outstanding. Gosh. It's worth it's worth driving uh, ten miles for. Which yes, I good job, good job, <laughs> Don. Right. You have taught me so much. I think much. we should have people. Uh, however they contact us, yeah. give us birthday freebies. Yeah. I'm the, always looking for more. To be clear, we're talking about the things you can get through an app by signing up for like their email list. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, my email is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's dive in because I am very excited for today because we have our senior pastor in the studio with us, Jason Strand. Hi, Jason. Hell, you know, I'm taking notes. I was taking notes. The, the Red Savoy one, I, I had know. no idea. That's incredible. It is incredible. Uh, you, are, you are blessing thousands of people right I, now. I think yeah. so. Tens I actually do. I want to hear like ideas because I, I don't do that though because no. I don't want to clog up my email. Yeah. So I don't want like all just these people send me stuff every year. <laughs> I need to get like a junk email account just for my birthday. Yeah. I yes. Get, I get 50 emails a day. <laughs> it's just fine. <laughs> but it all pays off in totally. November. So. This is when you cash in. <laughs> all right. Well, let's tee up with this. This is actually the first Eagle Brook Leadership Podcast of 2023. And so we're going to talk about all the things because one, it's the first of the year. People are excited. They're ready for what's next. I know I am. And this podcast, so this podcast is going to cover a wide range of topics. And we've got, again, we're so excited to have you here, Jason Strand with us. So we're just going to cover all the things. Let's start with this because it's such a fascinating story, but how are you doing since becoming senior pastor? And what are one of the, you know, couple of top lessons that you've learned since becoming the senior pastor. Just take us through the story because it's incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, I for those that don't know, I became senior pastor March of 2020. And so all of a sudden, my first weekend speaking, our attendance is down a little bit. And I'm like, well, you know, Bob Merritt, previous senior pastor, was a big going away last weekend, of course. People probably like, now we're gonna be down a little bit this weekend. And people kept saying to me, no, I think it's this COVID thing. And I had never heard of it. I was taking my daughter to a concert that night. People asked me, are you gonna go to the concert? I'm like, yeah, of course. So Saturday night, we go to this thing. There's a lot of empty seats at this concert that should be sold out. Mm. And I speak Sunday. Monday, I come into the office and people are like, are we going to have church next weekend? And I'm thinking, I just spent two years (laughs) studying how to transition from one leader to the next. And everything they tell me is, don't do anything drastic. Just listen, learn, you know, all those kinds of things. You're telling me that in the first week on the job, we're going to do something that we've never done in the history of our church. Mm. I mean, we don't even close for like a big snowstorm. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now we're going to close. <laughs> so that was my statement on Monday. Like, no way. We're not closing for anything. Mm-hmm. By Wednesday, we had made the decision that we were going to be online only, uh, which was shocking to go through that. Um, 
And so then from there, you go through this season of, I think early on, we no one knew what was happening. And so it, there was a lot of actually like praise, like, oh, thank you for being cautious and, you know, going online and we've got a great online experience. And so people kind of thinking it's gonna be a couple weeks kind of deal. But then I remember sometime in like May, all of a sudden when it got political, where all of a sudden everything, every decision you made on COVID had some tie to like a political leaning. Mm-hmm. Which it didn't for me, but like that was how people interpreted everything that you would do. All of a sudden, I remember my wife looking at me and she goes, You're not gonna make it. This is like two months into oh the job. Because I'm so stressed out. Yes. And I'm 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 it was working more than I'd ever worked before. I was so stressed. I'm checking my phone every day to see like what's the new restrictions or what's the new rules and what you know, we're gonna come out next week and and I sent an email one time to our church that said nothing, which is funny because it's like I sent out this email, it said nothing. I'm like, we'll tell you next week what we're gonna do. That was I don't even know why I sent it. Mm. I had like I checked my inbox, they accidentally sent it from my direct email. Mm. So normally it would come back to some like contact. It came from my direct email, so I open up, I've got like 85 responses. And they range from like, don't listen to Comrade Waltz, you know, our governor who's a commie. They were, they were thinking he was a communist. I'm not oh, saying that. But they're saying, don't listen to Comrade Waltz. Or they're saying, you're going to kill people if you open. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I think these are the two choices that I have. Yeah. And so you're just going back and forth. And so, you know, you asked, what have I learned? Through that season, I had this moment where I went into my closet upstairs and I was so like, I don't know what to do. And I got down on my knees and I was reading in Ephesians where it says that Jesus is the head of the church. And I'd always heard that before and I'd always believed that before, but it became so real to me in that moment because I thought, okay, I'm actually not the one who has to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And that was freeing because I was feeling so much pressure as the one who was in charge. And I thought, oh, Jesus, you're the one who's going to lead the church. You're the one who's in charge. And so I just had this moment of prayer and about an hour and a half of praying and worshiping. I came downstairs, I told my wife, I said, I think the burden's gone. Because how I described it as a leader was I was watching a tennis match where it was like, oh, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I'm just looking back and forth, trying to figure out. And I'm, everybody had a different opinion. And I had to come to this point of going, hey, your opinion matters, your opinion's valuable, but ultimately at the end of the day, I need to sit with Jesus and find out this is where we're going. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up setting August as an open date and there was no political like reason to that. There was no like, well, why would you do why would August? It was just because that's when I felt led that Jesus wanted us to reopen. And part of my thinking there was, you know, people don't really come to church as much in June and July anyway. And we, we people are up cabins and other kinds of places. August is when we really start to hit momentum. And so we just picked it that weekend in August and we said, this is what we're doing mm-hmm. and this is who we are. And and honestly, when we did that, everybody kind of just jumped, was like, oh, great, August is August it is. And, and we move forward. So those are probably the two lessons I learned is that as a leader, you have to really know this is from, from God, like looking up for direction. And then the second thing I learned was Everybody has an opinion. Those opinions are matter and important. But you need to figure out who are the people that you really need to listen to. And you two are in that group for me. But there's a, there's a small group of leaders at our church that I go, I'm, I'm accountable. It's not like I'm just making decisions without talking to people. I want to listen. But it, who I'm listening to really, really matters. Yeah, really and matters. as a leader, I would say, if you're making decisions that are you know, leading you in a, the wrong direction, one of the things you should look at is who are the people around me? Mm-hmm. Are, they, are they helping me move in the right direction? Mm-hmm. So, you know, One thing I remember in that season was you were leading through, and at one point you said, I'm not sure everybody's on board. And if we're not all on the same team, let's speak up right now. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but I actually remember a very pointed meeting where you were feeling a little bit left out. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know that we're all on board. And we did say, oh yeah, we are all on board. Yep. 
but I don't think we had articulated it or said it. And I, I remember that moment because you, you really did want our input. You really did want to know that it's not just your decision. Everybody was on on the same team together. So well, and everybody had different personal experiences. Even on a seven person leadership yeah. team, we all had different family experiences and other kinds of issues that we were dealing with outside of church and work. Mm-hmm. And that affects us, and that affects how we make decisions and who we are. And so for a while there, it was like there was a little bit of tugging. You know, like one person's tugging one way, another person's tugging the other way, and we had to get to the point of like. Okay, we the seven of us got to get on the same page yeah. here, and we have to listen to each other, and we have to get unified, and then we're going to move, t- you know, forward together. Yeah, that's really good. I have heard people say that Bob planned this all. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he retired. Yeah, right. COVID strikes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Some people say direct line to God. Like, that's right. Time to get out. <laughs> it time is to get the out. craziest transition you could ever possibly yeah, imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even when you talk to other churches about succession planning, it it almost doesn't. You can't compare it. Like yeah. nobody has. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I had re- I had read books on succession planning, and yeah. then it was just those notes were right out the door. Yeah, I mean, it was there. there it didn't matter at all because yeah. you knew this was so the different. thing you had to lead through for you know yes. however long. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, our primary audience of people listening to this are our staff, volunteers, small group leaders, and I do get pinged at different campuses. People that are using it for their business or because they are a key leader. Uh, as the senior pastor of this church, what is a hope for those people that do listen that you get to to lead? You know, I would say this is a simple answer, but it, it, it mission focused. Mm. That we would stay focused on the mission, which is to reach people who are far from God. Mm-hmm. I think so many times we can start to think about our own personal preferences and how we would like church to be done or how we would want this to be done. But ultimately, at the end of the day, every single one of us has to get around the mission, which is what is going to reach a person for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the bullseye. I love that. We have a center core, which is die for, then we have defend, then we have discuss. And that center of die for is our nine core beliefs. These are the nine core beliefs that we're like, we would lay down our life for those. And it's, you know, things like the Bible is the inerrant word of God and Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. And and so those are the things that we're going to rally around and be unified around. Other things start to move into the defend category. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say a lot of like the political, social issues uh, that we deal with today that are, in, you know, really impacting churches, a lot of those aren't in that die for category. They might be influenced by the die for category, but they're not actually in the die for category. And so I think for our church, I think increasingly it's, hey, let's stay focused on the mission, which is to reach people who are far from God. Let's stay focused on our nine core beliefs. Let's be in the bullseye. And yeah, we might have issues that we want to defend and we have issues that we want to discuss, but let's keep unified around the nine core beliefs. Because I think for me, I'm noticing not our church necessarily, but even just churches worldwide, disunity is the problem. Mm. In so many churches right now, as I talk to other senior pastors, the issue that they are dealing with is disunity. Yeah. And so more and more, the the you know bell that I'm ringing is, hey, let's stay focused on the mission, which is to reach people far from God. Let's unify around that. Yeah, that's perfect. That would be my first answer. The second little tag on, yeah. you know, I remember one time I heard a pastor say, if I could just wave a wand for everyone in my church, and what he said is what I would say, I would love everyone in our church to read their Bible every day. Mm-hmm. I just think, I don't know if everybody does that. I want everybody to do that. I personally, there are so many days where that is my lifeline. Yeah. Where I just read something and I've read it before, but it just jumps out at me. I don't know how I would get through the day without yeah. God speaking into my life. And so if I could wave a wand and have everybody do that, that would be my answer. Yeah. Awesome. You've done such a great do- job modeling that for our church. I mean, what you've had to lead through, you just touched on, by the way, leading through like the first five months of, of being a senior pastor. You yeah. didn't even get into the last yeah. two There's years. Two years there. Right. We didn't even talk about that, yeah. but we don't need to. Yeah. But the way you fought for 
unity, the way you fought to keep the main thing the main thing, it's just been incredibly admirable. And I'm sure you've learned more than you could have ever hoped to have learned Mm -hmm. in those first few years. But one of your greatest passions that we see every day as someone who gets to work with you every day, not just seeing you on the platform, but in the office and around, one of your greatest passions is to reach lost people for Christ. Just tell us, where did that come from or what drives that in you? Personal experience, uh, I didn't grow up in a family that went to church. We never went on Easter. We never even went on Christmas. Uh, I don't even remember talking about spiritual things. I remember one time my mom was reading a book by Deepak Chopra, who's like a new age guru. I don't even know how to describe him. And I just remember like kind of getting into that. Like I would try to eat my food really calm. You know, he was kind of into that. Like, I don't even, it was, I, looking back, I, I think it was weird now. But I remember one time I was like eating my food and my dad was being kind of like grumpy about something. And I was like, dad, you need to stop. And, and, my, and he was like, this is stupid. What are you doing? You know, he's just like, this. I mean, that was my spiritual life. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. But I, I grew up with a, um, a fear of death. I, I grew up with a fear of like, I'm going to die and just be gone. And it would hit me in moments where like life would be really good, where I'd be like, I'm so happy right now. Oh, well, this isn't going to stay. It's, it's, I'm going to lose this sometime. And so I'm dealing with this, like I was a person who would think about spiritual things, but I had no like where to put that. And so as an 18-year-old, I was completely lost. I mean, I didn't, didn't know Christ, didn't know anything about a relationship with God, went off to college and was alone and was away from my family and friends for the first time. And it was just such a lonely experience. And I, you know, I've told this story, but I went, my parents, I had a, was dating someone who was a Christian and they broke up with me. I didn't know that they broke up with me because I wasn't a Christian. I, they, I thought it was because I lost my temper because I was looking to them to fill me. I was looking to them and that relationship to like fill me, make me feel good about myself. And when they didn't do that, I would lose my temper. And so we broke up. My parents took me up to a restaurant in St. Cloud, and I watched this high school kid get up and start screaming at his girlfriend in the middle of the restaurant. And that's what I had done the night before, yelling at my girlfriend. And my first thought was, how do you become the kind of guy who would do that? And my second thought was, you're that guy. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like Nathan and David in the Bible, where all of a sudden Nathan tells David this story about a guy who steals a poor person's sheep, and it's like, you're the guy. And, uh, and so I went back, and I think this person had given me a track of, like, you, you we're breaking up, you need Jesus, here's this track. And I read the track. It was just a little, like, you're a sinner. And I'm, for the first time in my life, I was like, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was a good person, and that was the first moment where I'm like, no, I'm a sinner. And Jesus came to bridge the gap. It was just a really simple illustration that through Christ, I could have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so I, that was so compelling to me mm-hmm. at that moment of feeling so lost and so hopeless and so sinful the fact that I could acknowledge my sin, but Jesus would love me anyway and provided a way for me to have eternal life. And so at 19, my life changes. I mean, radically changes. I start taking walks by myself, praying to God. I start reading my Bible in bed. I remember sitting up there reading Exodus, not knowing anything about what I'm reading. You know, who's this Moses guy? But I'm reading my Bible every night and I've got study notes and I get involved with a group of guys in a Bible study. And so for me, that's where the hearts always come from is who's that 18-year-old Jason Strand out there who thinks about spiritual things, who longs for something else, who hopes that there's something more than just this life, but just doesn't have a sense of purpose and doesn't know Christ. And to me, that is the most important thing because we are going to die someday and we are going to be in eternity. And I want people there. I want people to experience what it's like to be with God. And so that that's where that 
that comes from. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten the part about a track. How oh, that played a part <laughs> in your because people always make fun of tracks, and well, I get I it. But I'm like, I came to Christ yeah, with a track. Well, I did too. Yeah, and I forget. I mean, I, I was in high school, and a friend opened up the track with me and mm-hmm. shared it, and it was a compelling. We should bring him back. <laughs> Let's I think do this it. Is it? Bring him <laughs> back. Hey, freebie on your birthday. There you go. Here's that's, a track. Yeah, that's from people. EBC. That's yes, our. Yes, that's our freebie. Our yeah. freebie. All right, God's given you a vision. Uh, to help Eaglebrook become a church of the Midwest. That's kind of become a rally cry for mm-hmm. us a little bit. What, what does that mean to you? When I applied for the job as senior pastor, the board said as one of the exercises, they had like three exercises they're going to put me through. And one of them was come up with a five-year vision for our church. And so I thought, okay. And I kind of was more like a check the box. It doesn't matter what you come up with. Just come up with something and we'll see. And if it's good, you can maybe get the job. But I went away and I prayed <laughs> And I started working on this thing, and I genuinely felt like God spoke to me. It was one of these powerful moments. Mm-hmm. There was two things God spoke to me. One was Acts 1.8, where Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that, and Jerusalem was the city, Judea, Samaria was the region, ends of the earth, obviously, ends of the earth. And we, for the last, our church for the last 10 years have been focused on Jerusalem for us, which was the Twin Cities. We're going to put a campus within 20 minutes of everyone in the Twin Cities, and they can come to that campus, invite their friends, their neighbors, they can serve there. Well, with when Lakeville opened, that was kind of done. Everybody in the Twin Cities was about 20 minutes from an Eaglebrook campus. And so I started looking at the next one, Judea and Samaria, and I thought, that's the region. And I felt like in that moment, God had called us to be a church of the Midwest, to not just be a church of Jerusalem, but to be a church of Judea and Samaria, and how can we reach the Midwest for Christ? So that was the first thing that I felt like God kind of spoke to me. The second thing, and I always laugh about this, not from the Bible, from the movie uh, The Patriot with Mel Gibson, and there's this moment, it's the Revolutionary War setting, and the militia line always breaks, and the British know this, and so they're going to pour at the militia. Mel Gibson's leading the militia. And, of course, they start to break, and he grabs the American flag and, in a great moment, goes running up to the front, slams it down on the ground, and yells out these three words, hold the line. Yep. And I had just been in a seminar with David Clark, who had taught at Bethel Seminary when mm-hmm. I was there, and he mm-hmm. was talking about nuns, mm-hmm. so people who have no religious affiliation. And he showed a heat map of the United States, and in the Northwest and in the Northeast – there was this high concentration of nuns. And you can almost watch from like, you know, Vermont, Massachusetts, New York, and there's this line coming across, and then Washington State, mm-hmm. Oregon. You're, you know, you're from Washington yeah, State, John. John. That's, we're going to blame you for this. <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> Seahawks fans. No, um, and you just see these two lines moving in. Yeah. And then I look, and I'm like, our church is right there. Yeah. Right in the middle. And I just had this the three words, hold the line. What group of people, what church is going to make an impact in culture to reach people for Christ? Which who is going to hold the line? Yeah. And it's the old, like, if not us, who? And I just thought, hold the line. And so those are the two phrases that really birthed that idea of being a church of the Midwest. And the idea behind that is really spiritual. It's it's reaching nuns. It's reaching people who are far from God to make an actual spiritual impact in a whole region so that a region would look back and go, we're different because these people sacrificed and invested to reach us. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I love that. That's obviously caught on and we have t-shirts with that and yep. all different things that have really stuck and it is a great rally cry that has helped our church to get momentum. Hey, there's, here, this is a leadership question probably that would relate with people that are in a senior level type role of you know, you oversee over 400 staff members, 10 physical campuses, over 30,000 attenders on a weekend. You can't be involved in all of it. So 
how do you figure this out? How do you decide what it is you want to be involved in? What decisions do you really want to be a part of? Is there a way that you decide what requires your involvement? How, how do you know what to, to dive in on? Well, I think this is, uh, it really is for senior leaders, but it's actually for every leader. I think this is one of the the things that every leader makes or breaks them. Mm, that's good. Is how they allot their time. Because you time is a fixed commodity. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get more money, you cannot get more time. And so as a leader, you have to decide, how am I going to use my time? And you can get spread too thin, where all of a sudden like you're doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and nothing's great mm-hmm. uh, because you've spread too thin. Or you can say, hey, I'm going to focus on two or three things. I'm going to do those really, really well, and I'm going to find other people around me to do these really, really well. Uh, I obviously think that's the better approach. And so as far as like the things that I'm involved with, one is the weekend. I mean, the, the weekend message, I think, is... 80-some percent of people choose a church based on the weekend message. The weekend message is not that God doesn't speak through a song or God doesn't speak through even an announcement or a smile that you get from someone in the, in the you know, uh, lobby area. But that message is really the opportunity where God's word is not going to come back void. God's word is going to speak to people. Mm-hmm. And I take that super seriously. And so that weekend message is something that I'm, obviously, if I'm writing it, yeah, I'm highly involved in it. But if John or Ryan or any of our other teaching team members are a part of that, I'm reading those, giving feedback on those. And so I would say the weekend message being one. I'm also pretty involved in like some weekend kinds of things. Like I definitely will like speak into like the worship, you know, on the weekend or like a big weekend like Christmas and Easter. I want to know what kind of what's going on on those. Um, other things for me is related to vision. So anything related to the overall vision of our church, which is like we just talked about reaching the Midwest for Christ. So things like opening new campuses, where are we going to open new campuses? When are we going to open new campuses? There's money issues of that, of like if something costs over this amount of money, then I want to know about that. Um, but I think ultimately the answer to this question is so much of leadership, and I love this, I my leadership style is a team approach. I always play team sports. I love team sports, love being a part of a team. So my style of leadership is I want to get great people around me, and then I want to release them to do their job, people who I trust. And if I don't trust them, then that's a problem, because then I'm like always kind of coming in behind, like, how did that work out? But if I have people who I trust, then I don't have to be a part of a lot of different things. And so I think finding people you trust, and I'm that's for me like those big hires of these are people who are going to have really high influential leadership roles. I have to trust them and know what they're doing. Uh, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. That's great. And maybe this next question kind of overlaps with what you just talked about. Maybe it doesn't. But you, one of the things that you appear to do, and again, as someone who knows you, you do this so well, you keep a really healthy rhythm in the work-life balance. That's a real popular topic that you know comes up a lot, burnout, work-life balance, those kind of things. And, and you seem to, I mean, despite going through the last three, three years and your wife telling you at one point, you know, you're not going to make make it, Jason. You're still here, and you're doing a great job, and you're thriving, and you seem healthy. I mean, talk about that a little bit. Is there any coaching for people on how to work hard but still take time to rest and stay healthy? How have you approached that topic over the last three years? Well, shameless plug, we're starting a series in January called Want to Get Away, yep. How to Build a Life You Don't Want to Escape. First week is schedule. Second week is stress. Uh, I'm going to say most of what I have to, you know, anything I would have on that topic yes, probably could right. come out in it's those all, messages, so me. listen to those. <laughs> yeah. But I would say for me, it goes back to managing your time. Yeah. And I have to be really, you know, this is when I'm going to work on my messages. I have the most energy in the mornings. 
And so when I get into the office at 7.30, from 7.30 to 11.30 or so, that four hours is my highest energy, my most, you know, I have the best mental capacity, I'm the sharpest, I'm going to use that on my message. Then I find I can't just jump into something else. My, my brain is fried at that point. So after four hours of that, I do try to get out of the office for, I'll go work out for yeah. an hour um, or I'll, you know, eat my lunch and do something else, you know, just yeah. to try to give my brain a break. And then I'm going to re-engage. And so then in the afternoons, it's for meetings and that's leadership kinds of things that I'm going to do in the afternoon. And then for me, uh, the challenge is you have five kids. And so when you come home, it's like, I got to get this kid here. I got to go here. I got this yeah, basketball game. Yeah, you did game. just kind of drop that in, but say, say that one more Yeah, I have five kids. Right. Five yeah, kids, okay. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like right Ranging now. Ranging in ages from? 17 to almost four. Yeah, 74. So, yeah, they're all, which has, the 17-year-old finally got Don this Don sits at home and watches birds. Okay? Well, that's, you know what? He'll be there soon. I'll be there soon. Oh, Jason loves watching <laughs> birds. We've talked about this on the podcast. We should have, Hold oh, on. dang it. I don't <laughs> love watching birds, but I know a lot about birds. Okay, well, when I was a kid, When I was a kid, I was really into birds, and it just pops out sometimes. Oh, we missed the All of a sudden, I'll see a scarlet tanager, and I'll get super excited. I can't. Myself. All right. get excited. We, yeah. we blew the opportunity. <laughs> okay, back it. to your five kids, work life. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. So yeah, that, true. <laughs> I'm not perfect with this. Yeah. Like I, I um, but I do try to say, like, even at, on my nights, like my wife and I have a date night every yeah. week, and my parents come over to watch the kids. I know it's not viable for everybody, but if you can to have a night, just the two of you to get away, I think it is so important. My wife and I, there are weeks when we hit that date night, we're doing great. There are weeks when we get in the car and it's like we fight until we get to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. And we just get it out. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I guess we're going to have to get this through. And then when we work our way through that, now yeah. we can get to the restaurant and yeah. just enjoy each other and be with one another. And so a date night has been life-giving for us. I think for me, I try to take a night where I've just kind of like, hey, I'm going to relax this night. Like I'm not going to be doing kids' things, and I've had to kind of let that go. So I think there's some of that. Yeah. Um, taking a day off on Friday, and yeah. Friday's my day off, and I just do something that's life-giving to me on that day. I think it's that planning out of your life. If you let other people schedule your life, especially in church world and ministry world, because there's always something more you can do, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be very diligent about this is how I want to schedule my life yeah. and stick to it. Yeah, you've done that very well. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I think you have, Don. You've been someone I've looked up to in yes, that regard. Yes, you have. Well, yep. well, thanks. Yep. Well, maybe this is a similar to topic, but one of the things we love about you is your vulnerability, your candid nature, you're often willing to talk to us about things that you're working on or broken places in your life. Are there one or two areas that you're really leaning into this year that you're hoping that God will help you to grow in? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just spoke at our staff meeting and I <laughs> talked about the fact that I had lied. I didn't like, get in the specifics of the lie because it's kind of an, like, like I said, I did say if you knew about the specifics of it, you'd kind of go, really? Like, yeah. you, you lied about that? Um, so I think actually obedience. I was just reading in First John and it talks about this is love. This is love for God. I'm like, okay, well, what is love for God? Because we think of it as like a feeling that I have towards God. Mm. But he says, it's obeying his commands. And then it says his commands are not burdensome. So God isn't giving you commands because he wants to like make this life really hard for you. Like, oh, I have to try to obey God. It's so difficult. It's a burden. He's giving you these commands because he wants you to walk in his rest. He wants you to walk with a yoke that's easy and light. It's not a burden. And there's a blessing and a joy that comes from obedience. And Jesus even talks about if you obey me, Here's why I'm telling you this, so that you'll have joy and your joy will overflow. And so that is one thing I've been thinking about is, that, is there areas of my life where I need to get more obedient to God? 
Um, the second one for me is we did the series on Ecclesiastes this fall. It was, for me, really a groundbreaking kind of series. And I'd always try to control my life. I'd always tried to, like, control my time and control. I mean, some of the things we're even talking about bore, are born out of that. And lately I've just been thinking, okay, God, you gave me today. Today is the day I have to enjoy. Today is the day you have made. And I've been trying to practice gratitude for the day I'm in, the moment I'm in, the gifts that God gives me versus feeling like I have to control everything. And so this idea of gratitude instead of complaining, you know, the Israelites are constantly you know, like mumbling and groaning about the fact that God wasn't giving them more food or whatever it was. And, and I just resonate with that of being needing to be someone who's more grateful. Mm, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, a couple of, to, to conclude here, a couple forward-looking questions here. What are you most excited about for the upcoming year? Like, what are the things you think about 2023, whether it's personal, family, or work, just what are those things like that you're, you're getting excited about for 2023? One of the biggest ones is Minneapolis. Yeah. So we're all opening a campus in Minneapolis. We believe around fall kickoff, which is like the second weekend, you know, the weekend after Labor Day in September there is when we would open that campus in Minneapolis. And I'm super excited about that. Mm-hmm. I think to me, it feels like one of them. As a board, we were meeting, we're talking about it. And one of our board members has been around our church for 20 plus years, has been on the board for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And he actually stopped us in the middle of the board meeting and said, hold on a second, everybody. This is, one of the, this is probably one of the biggest things our church has done since we opened the Lionel Lakes campus. Mm. This is one of the biggest risks we've ever taken since we opened the Lionel Lakes campus. And it was this holy moment as our board gathered together of, wow, like, what is God going to do through this? Mm. And yeah, I, I've said, you know, in the world we live in today, there's people kind of moving more to the margins on the left or the right, even politically. And again, Minneapolis, there's people on those sides that have opinions about that. So on the one hand, people are like, oh, you guys think you're going to come in and just save Minneapolis? And Minneapolis is so bad. And you need Eagle Brook and your big mega church. And, and I'm like, no, it's not that. We, we love people. We want to serve people. And there's people in Minneapolis. There's people in all, you know, other suburbs and other places too. And yeah, we want, but we really want to reach people and serve people in Minneapolis. And so it's really out of love that yeah. We're, we're doing this. The second, on the other side, people are like, Minneapolis is falling apart. There's so much crime. You know, why would anybody want to go there? I'm not going there. And what I've told those people is, that's fine. You don't have to go there. It's not for you. The campus isn't for people to drive in from the suburbs to go. The campus is for the people who live in that area in Minneapolis who are already there. So obviously they're not bothered by it. And we want to try to reach that person for Christ. And so we want to provide a church that they can come to, they can bring their kids to, they can grow in, that they can meet God in. And I'm, I, Spiritually speaking, I feel like this is a um, a soil that is going to be something different than we've ever experienced as a church. Yeah. That the kind of people who are there and the kinds of the things that we're going to experience and we're going to be faced with, I think, is something that we've that got. We've, we're just going to see what God does. Yeah. I think it's going to be incredible. Yes. Um, the second one for me is we're doing a series right after Easter called "Before You Lose Your Faith." Mm. And so many people today are talking about deconstructionism, and I'm well, I'm not sure, and I doubt this, and I'm losing my faith, and. You know, like I said, I was the opposite. I grew up not a Christian and all of a sudden became convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So this is going to be a series that is that person of like, hey, before you, before you walk away, where else are you going to go? Mm-hmm. Who else has the words of eternal life? Where else are you going to find the love and the peace and the grace and the hope that Jesus offers? And we're going to talk even about like the, the logical reasons why a person would follow Jesus Christ because I think they're very strong. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing I'm, I'm excited about. That's great. Okay, looking ahead even further. I know you don't have a crystal ball. I know it's hard to predict what the future holds. You never could have predicted that on March 1st, you know, you take over. March 10th, we're shut down and going online only. But another group of our podcast listeners are other churches, church leaders, 
Um, what do you think the future of the church looks like in the next decade? What do you think? No idea. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. But I will say a couple of things that pop into my mind for church leaders. Uh, one would be, I think the integrity of a church leader is more important than ever before. Hmm. Uh, when I look around, what's, what's sinking churches every day is a church leader who has a moral failure. Yeah. And so I think that is becoming more and more of an issue where people, and now it's become, you know, they're making money off of it. There's podcasts about it. There's documentaries about it. And everybody starts to think, well, well, if you're a church, you must be like this church. You must be like that church. You must be like this pastor. And so I think more and more the world is looking for church leaders who are walking with God and who are, you know, genuine in their, and not that they're sinless. I mean, that's just one thing. It's like, it's really, you're in this balance of like, yeah, I'm a sinful person. So don't, I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to have things you don't like and things I don't do, and I have to acknowledge that. But I think the integrity of the leader is really important. I think, too, I've only been a past, senior pastor for three, year, three years, but I was with a group of senior pastors, and some of these guys have been senior pastors for 25, 30 years, and they all were like, this is the hardest season to be a senior pastor. Uh, most of the reason why is because they were trying so hard to reach people and trying so hard to, like, you know, reach people for Christ, and they're just getting criticized left and right. So, you know, people can DM them, people can email them, people can... So there's all ways now for people to get a hold of you, and they're just getting thrown through the ringer. And if you were listening to this and you're one of those senior pastors who's, like, dealing with that right now, I just hang in there. I think endurance is going to be perseverance. Those are the kind of character traits that are going to win the day for the next decade is that leader who says, I'm going to walk with integrity and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to just push through endurance and perseverance. And so that's that's part of my message to, to a church leader. I, I do think the world online is here to stay. And I think for a while, there are even some leaders I knew who were like, ah, we're not going to do that. That's not church. But you kind of get to the point where you realize if you want to reach people for Christ, this is, you know, when the printing press happened and all of a sudden they're printing things like that was a God used that. And now this is a new technological revolution that God's going to use in some way. And I think as a church, you have to be willing to move into that as, yeah. in the next decade. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. You have any future thoughts about that? Oh, you, I mean, we talked about this. Before. I mean, I agree with with Jason in a lot of ways. I get so dis we talk about this all the time. We're often sharing. Oh, did you see this or read this? It just becomes so discouraging to see. Um, and I, I understand too. I have a lot of empathy when I see church leaders who have moral failures, or I, I I just think uniquely in a lot of ways they're carrying extra spiritual pressure and attacks mm -hmm. from the enemy and stress and. Um, you know, so I do have a lot of empathy, but it's still incredibly heartbreaking. Yep. And so again, none of us are immune to the potential risks mm -hmm. uh, or downfalls of, of being a leader. But um, man, that is something that is so important. Like I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that Jason had integrity, yep. full integrity. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't have been here if, you know, I didn't think Bob Merritt or previous senior mm -hmm. pastor had integrity mm -hmm. um, to the best of his ability. I don't expect perfection, but mm -hmm. I do want to follow a leader who's got integrity. So I think that's mm -hmm. critical. Absolutely, online's here to stay. I think we're going to continue to have to get more and more innovative with how we're trying to reach people. I think the gospel never changes. The, mm -hmm. the word is timeless, but the strategies and the techniques and the things we're doing to try to appeal to people, um, you know, I think we're going to have to continue to get innovative and in some ways bring back tradition. I think that's something that next generation is looking for, that reverence, that 
tradition, if I can use that word, you know, they're looking for some of those ancient practices that they can connect to. And I think every generation kind of longs to be reconnected to some of that. So I think we'll see more and more Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. um, as we, so I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I I had someone ask me this question. I I don't usually love that question. What's the future of the church? Mm -hmm. Because it feels like a crystal ball. Like, what do you see? And I would affirm your answers for sure. My answer was a church with vision is the one that will prevail. Yeah, you know, good. and really going back to the mission, mm-hmm. get back to the mission. I mean, that's what started us all from the beginning. Go and make disciples out of all nations. Yes, we keep coming back to that. I love that. That's a passion of yours. That's a passion of all yes. of ours. Yeah, it really is what unites our church, but hopefully all churches. Yeah, you know, the kingdom mm-hmm. should unite over reaching a dark and broken world, and so whatever the strategy is, that's going to change. It's really hard to see what that's going to be. That's the unifying, prevailing principle. Yes. And I think in the world, I love what you said there, because I think churches not competing with one another, but coming together yeah, in the next decade of how do we do this together to mm-hmm. reach? Because we're not, the, the the competition for me is not the church down the street, and it really shouldn't be. The competition for me is youth sports mm-hmm. and busyness and worldliness and all the things that people give their entertainment, all the things that people do that where they go, oh, I'm too tired for church, or I don't want to go to church. So churches have to figure out a way to kind of do that together. And I think in the previous generations, the issue was church was boring. And so it was like, well, if you can make church not boring, then people will come to church. But now I think you're getting to the point where people have a negative impression of the church if they're not a follower of Christ. And so they kind of, why would they ever go? I mean, if you put a mosque in my neighborhood, I'm probably not going. And that's how it is for some people. If the church comes in the neighborhood, it's like, oh, I don't care, yeah. but I'm not going. Right. And so you have to figure out a way to build a relationship with that person so that you can gain some credibility to where they actually would be interested in hearing what you have to say about Christ. Yeah, yeah that's so well said. Well, we could keep going, but I think <laughs> we need to wrap it up. Yeah. And uh, Jason, let me just say, I, I think we go back 20 years. Yeah, we do. Welcome week. <laughs> I was a Wait, when he was a college student? Yes. He was a college oh, student. you are old, Doc. And I, I was on Welcome <laughs> Week, and he was the leader of what? He was on staff at Bethel. Uh, and oh, he wow. was like, yeah. I was. Wow. And so Jason was, and now Sarah was the leader. Yep. And then you were someone that just kind of fit with the totally. phrase. So just a little tag along. hilarious <laughs> tag of it. Along. I know. It My Sarah. wife was the head of leadership development yeah. at Bethel as the, uh, as, the, as a student. <laughs> she was. And I was kind of the. Yeah, he just kind of, yeah, went with the flow. Totally. Puppy dog following his girlfriend. Totally. But it's been so fun to travel these last two decades Mm -hmm. with you and watching you grow as a leader, especially into the senior position here, has been just awesome. Mm -hmm. So grateful to be a part of it with you. And I wish everybody could see, even when you lead, like, because you come monthly with the campus pastors, you come and lead them and or at our leadership team meetings and kind of these discussions that we're having here right now. I wish everybody could see you lead in that context as well. You do that in such a great job in such a great way. You're obviously such, obviously such a humble leader and the way you teach from the weekend changes my life mm-hmm. and changes the life of my marriage and my family. So mm-hmm. I couldn't be more grateful mm-hmm. for you. who you are and to be a part of this with you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being here, Jason. Mm-hmm. Truly. Hey, we hope everyone has a great start to 2023. That's all we got for this episode of the Eaglebrook Church Leadership Podcast. When leaders get better, the church gets better. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you for the next episode of the Eaglebrook Church Leadership Podcast. <laughs>